Welcome to the Hot Crime Cold Coffee podcast with Pauline and Angie. Each week we bring you new episodes on Wednesdays and Fridays. Each episode includes our favorite coffee that we're drinking, a missing person spotlight, and whatever case we're currently working on. We also have bonus episodes Monday through Friday, daily cup of true crime in 15 minutes or less, where we share trivia, true crime updates and headlines, and fun facts. So join us. Please be sure to follow us on social media for bonus material. Listener discretion is advised due to sensitive and sometimes violent content. Welcome to the Hot Crime Cold Coffee podcast. This is Pauline and Angie, episode five. And we're taking our deep dive into the Daybell Vallo case. Angie was not here with me last week because of some weird smells in her house. <laughs> I thought we were not talking about this. <laughs> oh, no, we're totally talking about it. I don't want to talk about this. I'm still traumatized. It's still funny. No, it's it's hysterical. Like I mean, for you. Are are you gonna throw up? No, I was then. Oh dear God. So, Angie, tell us about your your dead body so Angie calls me and she's like I can't podcast tonight I'm like why not she's like I have this horrible smell in my house and I'm like well is it a dead body and little (laughs) did we know (laughs) dear god might as well have been good lord well technically it was I mean yeah technically it was it was awful so awful I don't think I even told you the worst part about that story either no but tell everybody from the beginning because it's uh super funny oh all right so I walk into my house and like my husband had just walked out of the house with um one of our um other business partners and I like walk in the house. I was like, Oh dear God. Like it smelled like hot trash in my house. Like, you know, when you leave and you go out of town and you forget to take out the trash and it's like a hundred degrees, like the entire time that you're gone, like that's what it smelled like in my house. It's like, what the actual hell? Like, ew. So, you know, first thing I do is I go in and take out the trash and I get over there and I was like, it doesn't smell gross over here. That's weird. So I was like, okay. So I take out the trash and like, I, put on some like, um, you know, one of those things, Mm -hmm. not a humidifier, um, (laughs) a diffuser. There we go. That's the word I was looking for. (laughs) And I'm like, this will clean the air and make it go away. It did not. It got worse and it just kept getting worse. And I'm like looking all over my house for the smell and I cannot find it anywhere. And every time that I think I figured out where it is, like I get over to that spot and then it like disappears. And like, it was just, oh, it was so frustrating. And then I go into my, um, I go into my bedroom and then my bedroom starts smelling. I'm like, why does it stink in my bedroom? Like, there's absolutely no reason. Like with the way that my house is set up, there's no reason that it should smell in my bedroom. And the entry of my house smells and like my bedroom starts smelling. And then I go in my bathroom and my bathroom smells so bad. And I'm like, what the heck? So I take out the trash in my bathroom. I've taken out all the trash in my entire house and nothing is like even touching this. And I was just like, so I can't find it. And I'm like, okay, maybe there's like a dead mouse in my wall or something like that. Like it's the only thing that I can think of that even remotely (laughs) makes sense, which is grossing me out like to, oh, all kinds of extents. And so- you know, but I figured if there's a dead mouse on my wall, I should be able to pinpoint where it is. I cannot pinpoint this smell. Like it just, I swear it just keeps moving and I can't figure it out. It's driving me insane. So I go to bed and I was like, all right, fine. Like I've taken out all the trash. It's just, it just needs to dissipate from the house and it will be fine. So I get up in the morning and I'm walking around my house. And as I'm walking around my house, like it is not better. It is worse. (laughs) 
was like, oh. Um, so I go down into our basement, which is where the kids' rooms are, and there's a bathroom down there and everything. And sometimes if the boys, because you know, they're young, they don't flush all the time. If they forget to flush, <laughs> it will make the entire basement stink. So I'm like, oh because I walked down there and it stinks down there too and it didn't smell bad down there the day before so I'm like oh they must have forgotten to flush so I go in the bathroom and it's totally clean so I'm like super frustrated at this point so I go back upstairs and I'm like sitting there <laughs> and I'm like drinking my coffee and I'm like thinking about it and I'm like I just can't figure it out and we had this is the part I didn't tell you so we had um it wasn't last year. It was a, oh gosh, it was like six, six or eight months ago. Um, <clears throat> we had cleaned out the storage area in our basement and there's a freezer down there and there's like a bunch of canned food and stuff like that. And, um, we were reorganizing the freezer cause we had to make room, um, for this moose that we got, which didn't do any good. We ended up having to buy a new freezer for this moose. Um, but while we were doing it, we had pulled out a fish from when we went ice fishing and Mm -hmm. there was stuff on the floor in there. And so like we had thrown these boxes away and stuff like that. And somehow we missed this fish and it got covered up by something. And so it just putrefied and got all nasty on the floor down there. So like in my brain, I'm sitting there going, Oh my God, what if, what if there's something else that's in there? I was like, that would make a lot of sense. So I was like, okay, crap. So I go down into the basement and I open the storage room. And as soon as I open the storage room, I'm like hit with this just horrible, horrible smell. And I'm like, son of a bitch. (laughs) There is a, what used to be a frozen turkey. This thing is huge, mind you too. This is like a ginormous turkey. And it's on the floor in the storage room. And I don't know when it got taken out. I'm thinking, because we hadn't been home for very long from Mexico at this point. So I'm like, this has to have been either like right after we got home or like right before we left or something like that. Because it had been sitting there for a hot minute. Like this whole thing, it was so swollen. It split the plastic that it was in. And those are supposed to be like puncture proof and it split Mm -hmm. the netting that you normally like, you know, hold the, like the netting bag thing in. So I'm Mm -hmm. like gagging and I like (laughs) ran upstairs and grabbed two trash bags. I literally dragged Haley out of the shower to hold the trash bags for me (laughs) because there was no way in hell I was going to attempt this myself. And I swear to God, as soon as I touched it, it just starts like leaking and like but it wasn't just like leaking it was like aggressively shooting liquids out of it (laughs) so you (laughs) i did and so when when angie told me that it was the turkey we both have like these huge flocks of wild turkeys in our yard so I was thinking like a wild turkey had randomly like ended up in the house, like freaked out or something and hid behind the freezer because you didn't give me a lot of context. Cause when I asked her, I'm like, so was it a dead mouse? She's like, no, it was a turkey. I'm thinking, ah, oh, a dead turkey in your house. Cause you know, we can, I mean, we have weird, strange things happen we all the time. Well, and we live in the woods and like last year when I had three dead deer in my chicken coop throughout the year, like that's strange and weird. So why not have like a dead turkey in my basement? But apparently (laughs) it had been deaded for quite some time and jumped out of your freezer. Oh my gosh. Yep. (laughs) Well, I'm glad it wasn't like a turkey body, like with feathers and stuff. Cause I think that might've been worse. That would have been gross. I mean, it was still gross. Like it's, (laughs) it took a week for me to be able to walk into that room without like wanting to gag. And mind you, like it was one of those, like I had to cover everything in baking soda. I cleared that up, sprayed it all with bleach, covered it with more baking soda. Like this. Did you try kitty litter? 
No, I just did the baking soda, but it, oh. it helped. It really helped. Like, yeah, I had to move Bunched. the freezer, which was not easy to do. It was a huge freezer. Oh, yeah. Oh, I God, that's 100% do not ever recommend you doing that. <clears throat> I will put it on my list of things to never, ever, 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 ever do. Ever, ever. Ugh. I was very, very grateful there weren't any flies. Oh, that would have been even worse. Baby flies with it. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm really glad that Angie could join me today because, you know, her dead turkey. My story. Oh, Oh, God. So gross. All right. Um, Let's see here. Oh, so we're. This is episode five, and we have the Valo Daybell case. And today we're talking about Chad Daybell. But as usual, we're going to have our coffee feature, our missing persons, any interesting headlines before we get to our main topic, which this week is Chad. And if you haven't gotten caught up, caught up yet, cotton, cotton's not even a word. If you haven't gotten caught up yet. <laughs> Um, the previous ep- episodes were the timeline and then two episodes, part one and part two, just about Lori and her personal history all the way up until when she meets Chad, the end of 2018. Dun, dun, dun. I feel like we need oh, to have that sound. Yeah. Or drum rolls. Could we have drum rolls? <laughs> I don't can't even do it like oh my god it's a beautiful drum roll I'm sure right, so- one of the kids would be like amazing at it oh you know what actually I do have drums because Neva invaded my office oh her so drum set is in, in there, my huh? office I have Neva's drums and I don't know how to use them, but <laughs> oh. oh look at that. <laughs> All right, coffee feature of the day, Angie. It was amazing. <laughs> I know. Should I do that like on every little thing? Do the little thing. She's gonna be like, why do you keep touching my drums, mom? Stop. Well, they're in my office. So technically fair game. Course. Right. Well, and I bought them too. So, you know. <clears throat> All right. So, our coffee um, of the night is Dead or Alive, number eight. This is a um, dark Italian coffee meant to be made in an espresso machine or a mocha pot. Um, you can have it as a latte or just black. Like, I like it, just black and bitter without anything. Oh, yes, please. Thank you. Um, yeah, check it out. It's good stuff. It is really yummy. I had some the other day while I was at your house and I thoroughly enjoyed it, but I have these, you know, I'll go from dark unsweetened coffee, which is usually like in the fall. And then I don't even drink coffee in the winter time. What? Yeah, no, That's not. I, I drink tea. I just drink tea in the winter time. I drink all of it. Tea, coffee, chai, hot chocolate. Well, usually just, with schnapps in it. Because <laughs> of course. <laughs> I mean, it's peppermint hot chocolate. How could you not want peppermint hot chocolate? It's an adult peppermint hot chocolate. It's amazing. Hey, my favorite coffee of all time is um, especially when camping is the and I know it kind of sounds weird but PBR they make an amazing hard <gasps> coffee yes they have do I have it's so good it tastes like chocolate milk actually like I am not a huge like sweet coffee person but yeah I, I really like those and they're <clears> perfect <throat> it's like you know coffee with a shot of Bailey's in it it's only five percent Oh my gosh. You want to take your coffee up to the next level? Um, have you ever made whiskey whipped cream? 
I have not, and I'll have to try that. <laughs> but right now I'm drinking coffee with a splash of amaretto. So Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah. I make, um, I started making whiskey whipped cream for, um, pecan pies and then started putting it in my coffee in the morning. Yes. Ooh, uh, change your life and your coffee. Um, well, one of these days I'll tell you the story about how I can't even smell whiskey, but that is definitely for another day. It's a long story, but I will tell you never, ever, ever, ever mix together every single whiskey you can think of in one bottle. It will not end well. <laughs> Wait, isn't that called like the endless, the endless barrel? Oh gosh. One of these days I'll tell you it's a horrible story. Well, horrible for me, not for or anybody horrible else. For you. It was hysterical. <laughs> yeah. That sounds amazing. All right. Missing person spotlight. So Angie and I had decided that we're going to do the oldest cases from each state, the ones that people have forgotten about or haven't hit mainstream media in a while or ever. And we're going in alphabetical order by state. Today it's Arizona. And I was absolutely shocked by the amount of missing children currently in Arizona. Angie, there's 232. Right there by the border. I know it's crazy. 232. And I compare it to some of the other states that have like 50, 60, which even one is too much, but 232 in Arizona is not, you know, one of the most populous states, I don't think. Yeah. Don't, don't even get me started on human trafficking. This would, this would be the longest podcast ever. And that is something that you are passionate about. And we, we talk about frequently, especially when, we each have uh, teenage girls around the same age. And one of the reasons why they're banned from social media. Yep, absolutely. All right, so this is not necessarily a missing person, but it is a cold case. And so it is Jane Doe, 1958. She has not been identified. I checked out the DNA doe site to see if maybe um, she was listed on there. And what DNA doe is, is it's a nonprofit company that work on identifying unknown remains. They don't do babies, but they do remains all over. They work with law enforcement, a lot of the genetic labs and things like that. You can donate to them because they don't have funds. So it's crowdsourcing and crowdfunding. And they just identified this last year in Montana, an unidentified person that had been missing for, I think it was like 40 years. They finally were able to give him a name. Well, I can't remember what it was. Yeah. So the DNA Doe Project, if you're looking to help, you know, missing people, missing persons, that's a great way to do it. Donate to them because it helps bring somebody home. All right. Um, Jane Doe, 1958. She was found on October 31st. 1958 so Halloween which is kind of right around the corner she was found in the Grand Canyon they estimate her age to be between 11 to 14 female white hair color is brown could have been dyed and eye color unknown on October 31st 1958 the skeletal remains of Jane Doe 1958 were located about 10 miles southeast of the Grand Canyon in Coconino County, Arizona. 
She is believed to be between 11 to 14 years of age, approximately five feet and 105 pounds. She had reddish brown hair that had been dyed to a lighter brown color. She was wearing a white wool short sleeve cardigan, brown, green, and red plaid capri pants. Graf California wear brand, white rayon underpants, and a white maiden form alouette cotton bra size 34C were located near the remains. In addition, the following items were recovered, an 18-inch 10-carat solid gold chain, a small jar of Pond's cold cream, a white nylon comb, a small white powder puff with traces of suntan colored powder and a small blue plastic nail file case with the indentation of the letter P and a handwritten capital R written next to it. If you have any information, you can contact the Coconino County Public Health Services District Medical Examiner Office in Arizona, which is 1-928-679-877, or the Coconino County Sheriff's Department, 1-928-226-5012. And again, she is unidentified. Um, one of the other features was her hair was wavy, but may not have been naturally wavy. Her teeth were in good condition and she had seven fillings. She was found nude. I already gave you a list of the clothing that she was wearing and that she um, was found in Arizona around Halloween. Some people thought it was possibly Pinky Redman who disappeared in 1958. And they do not believe that that is her. I don't know if they've done DNA testing or anything like that, but they do not believe that that is actually her. The next person is still a missing person. And it is the oldest actual missing person out of Arizona. Her name is Diane White. She went missing on May 6th, 1959 from Phoenix, Arizona. Her date of birth was April 20th, 1942. So that would have made her about 16 or 17 years old. And... Um, so she would just turned 18. She may have been pregnant at the time of her disappearance and possibly had a miscarriage afterwards. She lived with her parents and siblings in California until 1959. In March of that year, her family moved to Arizona to Dolan Springs. Diane decided to remain in California with her boyfriend, Benny Milton Webb, who was then 16 years old. She visited her family in Arizona at least once and stayed for a week. She told her parents she was pregnant, was going to marry Benny. Diane's father disapproved of the relationship and her pregnancy because back then women um, did not get pregnant out of wedlock. And, but her mom and her brother traveled to California to go to her wedding. This was the last time anyone saw her. So she got married right at 18 to her 16 year old boyfriend and she was pregnant. She wrote letters home and the last letter her family re received was August 22nd of 1959. And sometime in late 1960, Benny wrote a letter to Diane's family. He thought that she was with them in Dolan Springs. So she hasn't been seen since. They think that Benny might actually know something, but he has refused to cooperate with police, take a polygraph, and he says he doesn't even recall ever marrying Diane. Benny's what? hometown, I know, it's crazy. And Benny's hometown is truth or consequences in New Mexico. And there's a serial killer from there. I forget which one of oh, the toy box killer. He killed all of his victims just north of truth or consequences. 
don't understand how you can be under investigation because your wife is missing and they will allow you to refuse a polygraph or anything like that. Like your wife and unborn child are missing. Well, he doesn't recall marrying her, even though her family attended the wedding. So yeah, like, like all this stuff is super shady and the police are like, oh, okay, we don't want to be a bother to you, sir. Well, you can't really force anyone, especially if you don't have evidence that goes into that whole lawful, you know, and if someone, you can't force someone to take a polygraph. And it's not even admissible. Well, and it's also not admissible in court. So he may or may not know something, but they've never found her or her remains and she's considered missing. They did find some bones in 2013, but it was not her. So if you have any information, you can contact the Phoenix Police Department, which is 1-602-262-6151. She had brown hair, gray eyes, was 5'2 and 110 pounds. Last seen on May 6, 1959 at age 17. She may have used the last name of Webb. And if she is still alive, she would be 80 years old. It's crazy. I know. Well, and all of these cold cases, all of these cases that, I mean, that's what I'm not, I'm really bad at math. That's 60 years ago. She's been missing for over 60 years, right? 1959. Yeah, I think so. I don't math. Me neither. All right. Um, Crime updates and tidbits. I've covered these pretty much on a daily basis. If you listen to our little mini episodes each day, Monday through Friday, the daily cup of true crime in 15 minutes or less. Um, Lori Vallow's niece, Melanie, was charged today. Did you hear about that, Angie? I did hear about this. Very I'm, interesting. Why not? I like I like when they arrest people for for things that have zero things to do with the actual case, and you know they're just using it to hold them because they have other stuff on them, but not enough to actually hold them for it. So they're like, hmm, "What can we find on you and arrest you for it?" Because she's never been charged with anything. And no one knows if she was involved with the kids, even though she was involved in their weird, I don't even know what to call it. I call it group sometimes when I mention it. I call it fringe group, cult. I I mean, I don't even, I don't even know what to call it at this point. I would, I think it's pretty safe to call it a cult. I mean, it was, yeah. I'm not sure what it is, but she was, they didn't charge her. They didn't charge her with anything um, regarding the attempted assassination of her ex-husband. She hasn't been charged with anything with connection to the kids at all. And um, she was arrested in Utah for domestic violence. She trespassed on someone's property. But today she got arrested. It's a felony. It's a third degree felony for computer tampering, which apparently, and you and I had discussed this before we got on, that again, a lesser charge to maybe something bigger, but they just needed to hold her. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'm, telling I'm trying you, to pull this, this back up because this case I want to read. Go ahead. Yeah. While you're looking as this case gets closer and closer, 
more people, I bet you anything, more people that were kind of like on the fringe edge of this that had to have known something, had to have seen something, had to have been a part of it, had to have been part of the discussions or whatever, they're going to start getting arrested for random things just so they can be held so they don't start like disappearing and running away once this trial starts and all the stuff starts coming out. Well, they did that though with Lori and Chad. So when they first arrested her, it was abandoned. I think it was abandonment of children or something along those lines. But um, and with Chad, they didn't charge him initially with murder. I think it was uh, tampering with human remains is what they first got him for. And then they, it, you know, they waited till they had um, different charges. Oh, it's computer tampering is what they got her with. So she basically accessed her ex-husband's business bank account after they were already divorced. And they started investigating her at the end of 2021. And I think that she may be facing additional charges. This is just something to hold her from now. What is interesting to me is that she's on probation in Utah for the domestic violence enhancement when she was trying to get her kids back. And I'm wondering if that's a violation of her probation, picking up new charges. I mean, sure it has to be, right? Like how I would think that it not just be? kind of depends. I think, I think it depends you have on to... the state and the law. I think you're like, I think it's pretty standard for, um, for that stuff that you know you have to basically keep your nose clean i guess she let's see here um she basically went into his bank account which she should no longer have been on and no longer had access to or shouldn't have had access to to pull up a check which she used as an exhibit in court <laughs> against him yeah but you can't it's illegal to it's what i mean it could be considered even like wire fraud like why wouldn't you just go to the bank and be like yo can I have a copy of this check? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, she didn't have access to it anymore. So I'm not really sure why she went into it. And my computer just like had a random freak out. So. Right. But your attorneys could have subpoenaed it or something like. <laughs> she's just like, don't worry about it. You guys, I got it. Yeah. This is faster. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I do know it's illegal to. Uh, you know, get into somebody else's accounts, especially when you're not on it. And I have no idea. Like, I, again, I think it's a lesser charge to get her for something else, but we're trying to stick to the facts. We don't know, but she is, I believe, still on probation for her domestic violence charges in Utah. It was an enhancement. That wasn't the original charge. The original charge was trespassing so all right what were we oh other headlines in the news there's really nothing else the judge has not yet given his answer on the motion to prevent cameras in the courtroom during the Vallow Daybell case so we're still waiting to hear back on that. If you've been listening to the dailies, then you've heard the talk about the huge amount of sealed documents and sealed hearings that may or may not be in accordance with Idaho law. We're not lawyers. 
so we're not really sure what the Idaho law is. But my understanding is that you are required to justify why you're sealing something. And the court hasn't done that. Plus, there's almost a hundred documents. Yeah, that's a lot. That, yeah. Huge. I'm, I'm not even, I was talking to someone, they're like, well, I'm not a lawyer. Well, do you think that's an excessive amount of documents? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> so there's, yeah, we haven't gotten answers on any of that stuff. And that's totally fine. The Kristen Smart trial is still going on. You can listen to the recaps on the Your Own Backyard podcast. The George Wagner trial, it's entered its second week. It's the Piketon massacre or the Pike County trials. It goes by a couple different names where four family members of one family killed eight family members. And there's a really good podcast that I've been listening to about those murders. Um, it's called, gosh, I can't remember. And I had it pulled up too. Um, but apparently there were several murders before that, that went unsolved or, oh, the podcast is the Piketon massacre. Well, duh. <laughs> it's in Piketon. So yeah, that's the name of the, um, podcast. And it really breaks down everything of what happened, why it happened, the whole timeline. They do an excellent job of breaking it down, as well as some of the other theories and why it took law enforcement so long to arrest anybody, because there were several other murders that had happened with that uh, execution style type murder in people's beds at night. There was, I think, four different incidents, and each time two people had been murdered. Oh my gosh. So, like, yeah. And, but no, this, this was very personal. And it's unfortunate that a little girl is left without her mom, and her dad will be facing life in prison because he pled guilty to save his family from the death penalty which in a weird way is very admirable. You know, That's so he pled messed guilty up to save, I know, but he pled guilty to save everyone from the death penalty. So he, he I, I don't think that if he'd had a trial, it probably would have been extremely biased. I hate to say it. And um, he would have gotten the death penalty and everyone in his family. So. All right, on to Chad Daybell, because we don't have anything else really that hasn't been discussed today or yesterday. What do you know about Chad, Angie? Um, let's see, constants and commonalities in Chad's life are death, cemeteries, death and cemeteries, religion and writing. Um, this guy kind of Oh, let's see. What's, how do I say this? Well, I guess there's not really any other way to say it. He liked to write like doomsday books. Like it was just kind of creepy. Is that a, probably. Yeah, not. no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like very obsessed with like death and cemeteries and yeah, like he was just kind of a creepy dude, I think. Well, and in his memoirs, and because he wrote like a couple autobiographies um, with his doomsday books and all of that, death just seems to be a common thread. And he was a grave digger. Well, and, I mean, that would explain like the, that would explain the obsession with death and cemeteries if you're a grave digger. But wait, I'm sorry. How many grave diggers do you know that are... <laughs> 
that are so narcissistic that they're just like, you know what? I need to write not one, but two autobiographies about myself because everybody wants to know these things about me. <laughs> right. Well, and um, the grave diggers I know are not creepy or weird. Russell and his family are pretty amazing. And um, they're some of my favorite people and they're totally not creepy. <laughs> That's good. They're not. They're like totally not. Yeah. Um, so we're just kind of going to do like what we did with Lori's story. We're going to kind of go through Chad's background until he met Lori. And this will have to be in two parts because we spent a lot of time chit chatting, but it's so in depth. It just takes a long time to go through it anyway. And so, as Angie mentioned, there's going to be a lot of mention of uh, death, religion, and writing, why we go through his history, because those things keep popping up again and again, kind of like with Lori, Hawaii kept popping up, religion kept popping up, and the fact that she was always trying to be in the center of attention, that narcissism that Angie likes to mention, right? <laughs> I mean, I it's mean, there, it's there. Absolutely. You got to call it how it is, even though we are trying to be as objective and factual as possible, but sometimes the personal opinions do come through and that's okay. We're human. All right. Chad Daybell was very proud of his family for having such deep roots in the Mormon church. His family has been in the Mormon church almost since the very beginning from the 1860s. There is an alleged story of when one of Chad Daybell's ancestors, Finity Daybell, came to the prophet Joseph Smith's rescue. The prophet had men throwing eggs at him and Finity came and chased the men away. He was the first member of the LDS church from the Daybell family, and he was, moved his family to Utah in 1864. So if you're not familiar with the Mormon or LDS church or the Church of, Latter, church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the very first prophet was Joseph Smith, and he was the leader of the church. A lot of the older families have ties directly to Joseph Smith or to people who knew Joseph Smith. Personally, my family has roots as well, all the way back to the beginning of the LDS church on my dad's side of the family. And I wouldn't be surprised if I was possibly even distantly related to Chad Bell or if our families knew each other at one point because my family did move to Utah in the, you know, when the, when the church first moved there, just like his family. So that would be a little weird. Yeah. That's kind of unnerving to think about. That would be like, I mentioned, and I'm not sure if it was yesterday or the day before that everyone is like seven degrees with, um, Six degrees from a serial of killer. No, oh, seven what? from a serial killer. Yes. Yes, but I know. Well, in Utah's got Ted Bundy. There's the running joke that everyone's within seven degrees of separation from Ted Bundy in Utah. And I think that is factual straight up. I kid you not. But people are, these families that have these deep roots in the Mormon church, they're extremely proud of them, regardless if you're still part of the church or not. It's just something you hold on to. And, you know, there's, there's pride in it because the pioneers, they came to Utah. They had nothing. They had to deal with starvation and extreme weather after prosecution. So that resilience in it has been passed down generation to generation. And people are proud of their Mormon heritage. Again, they don't have to be members of the church, but they are proud of their Mormon pioneer heritage. So Chad's 
grandfather Keith was born in Utah. He was a descendant of Finity Daybell. And he served during World War II in Europe. He was captured and listed as MIA. Keith is very important to Chad's personal story. Keith returned to Utah after he was released from a prisoner of war camp and started a company with his brothers. He already had two boys, I believe, at home when he came back. He and his wife had Keith, who was Chad's, or not Keith, Jack. And then Keith, even though he survived World War II in 1951, he died in a tragic accident and was buried in Springfield Cemetery. Chad would later work at that cemetery. Chad's father, Jack, served in the Navy and went to BYU. He met his wife, Sheila, which is Chad's mother, they were married and Chad was born on August 11th of 1968 in Springville, Utah. According to Chad, his very first encounter with death was when his friend Randy was killed in a cave collapse. And Chad seemed to have this obsession with death. He would often bring up brushes with death, near-death experiences. He even wrote, and this is, I don't know if this is true or not, but the rumor is that he wrote a book about death when he was in the fourth grade. And on the cover of it, there was an evil-looking owl, which that owl will be brought up again because that is also important. And owls are omen of death. In Native American culture, owls are bad luck. Doesn't this when totally he was remind you of the plot of New Girl? Sorry. No, no I don't watch that show. No, I'm, no my girl, sorry. Um, oh, yes, yes, yes. yes she was obsessed death. with I'm like, death. New Girl? No, not New Girl, my girl, sorry. Yes, <laughs> she was like but obsessed with beyond. death and everything else after her friend died. Like, I guess before her friend died, but she was not obsessed with it in like a creepy way. And eventually she lets go. But with Chad, it was always a constant. Like even <clears throat> like in his writings, in his in adult life, in his teen life, his first job, what he later decided to do for a living, like everything revolved around death and with his followers he would bring it up again and again and he mentions being reincarnated after dying he mentions the veil which is basically that barrier between life and death all of the time and it's it's really freaky right at what point do your parents not look at you and be like you need some counseling and therapy well i don't think parents did that way back when when chad was a kid he was born in what 1968 i don't know of anyone in that generation that went to therapy as a kid that's probably true i know my parents didn't i don't think your parents went to therapy as kids either no, ma'am. All right. So we the third grade, his friend died. Um, and then when he was in the fourth grade, he wrote that uh, book about death with the creepy owl. And sometime when he was around 12 or 13, he brings up the story of how he saw all these bees and he just started killing them and killing them and killing them and stomping on them. And an angel came to him and told him to stop killing the bees. And he did because they were all God's creatures and he should not be doing that. And that is why the angel showed up to him. 
does it kind of sound like Lori's story with the angels coming to her? Mm, yeah, definitely. In the ninth grade, Chad had a spiritual awakening after reading the Book of Mormon. It could also be considered strengthening his testimony. He states that he felt the spirit. He saw the spirit and realized that he had a long, wonderful life ahead of him. He would marry a wonderful woman and raise a strong family, and he would have many spiritual gifts that would help him bless the lives of others. He was into sports. He played basketball, baseball. He got good grades. He was profiled in 1983 in the Springville Herald. That was the second time he had appeared in the newspaper. He also was involved in seminary, which is a religious classes that the Mormon church have. And in Utah, it's part of the school system. And when he was 14, he, it was mentioned in the Herald that he was planning on going on a mission to spread the word of the church, and he was going to go to college. And what a lot of people don't know is that when he was on the high school football team, he played alongside the future NFL Miami Dolphin quarterback. Scott Mitchell, they were friends. And I believe Ooh. that Scott Mitchell has been in several documentaries and had several interviews. Here's something extremely important. Before his senior year, Chad found a summer job as a grave digger with the Springville Cemetery where his grandfather was buried. He states that that year he also had his first near-death experience when his a spirit jumped out of his body and his grandfather came to him and spoke to him. The same grandfather that had lived through World War II and was buried in the Springville Cemetery. In May of 1986, Chad Dayball graduated. He had excellent grades, so he won a two-year scholarship to BYU, which is the Brigham Young University. And he was ready to take on the world. He commuted to the BYU campus in Provo from his parents' home in Springville. He briefly dated a girl from Florida, but it didn't really work out. And the summer after his freshman year, again, he worked as a grave diver, digger before going on his mission to New Jersey. What many people have said about his mission work is that he was very quiet, very unassuming, but he was able to bring them into the church People listened to him, and, and he was also extremely awkward, but people listened to him. There was just something that he had that made people listen, listen. and he bapt, baptized quite a few people into the Mormon church during his mission. He was also a zone leader which he was kind of the head of uh, missionaries in his group. And again, he had another visit from his grandfather, Keith Daybell. Chad would later say that Keith was his spirit guide. And whenever he needed direction, his grandfather would visit him from beyond the veil or beyond the grave. In the summer of 1989, after Chad was released from his mission, he went back to Utah and he started writing at the BYU's Daily Universe 
newspaper, there was someone else who worked on, or let's see, no, she did not work at the paper. That's when he met Tammy, his wife. He was looking through somebody's yearbook and I believe that Tammy went to the same high school as his brother, Paul. He met Tammy while he was working at the cemetery. So he went back to grave digging again. And they would get married on March 9th of 1990. So again, you've got the cemetery, you've got death, you've got his grandfather. These things keep coming back again and again. He's speaking to people beyond the grave. He's speaking to spirits. And that was something that Lori had been doing also since she was a teenager, which I previously mentioned. And I think that's a good place to stop when he met Tammy. What do you think, Angie? Out of my brain is still just going back to where you said his spirit jumped out of his body and he had a near-death experience and started talking to his grandpa. You know, I'm sitting here thinking that's like, what, late 70s, early 80s or something like that? It's like, what, what drugs was this man on? Late 80s. <laughs> well, he was really into the Mormon church and he was a good Mormon, so I doubt it was drugs. But, you know, it, if it was a normal person that or he was would, alone entirely too much <laughs> and it could be, it, he was a loner. He didn't really have a lot of friends. He was socially awkward and he dug graves. Yeah. Creepy, but people were still drawn to him. And I have to tell you, I listened to one of his podcasts I think it was last week after reading, oh, that book by John Glatt, uh, The Doomsday Mother. Yes. I, I had been reading it and there was a mention of how Chad was charismatic. I'm like, no, because you look at the pictures of him and you're like, no, no. <laughs> and I Googled it. They're still and- up. I thought they were all taken down. No, no, they're on YouTube video. Oh, you can find almost anything on the internet nowadays. That's true. There are like, for instance, all of Lori's brushes with fame. We've got those YouTube videos posted on our <laughs> website. The Wheel of Fortune one. Yes. The one with mm-hmm. when she's an extra on Modern Family. I think it's episode three, season twelve or season three episode 22 22 it's the disney one and when she was in the beauty pageant you can find anything on the internet there's supposedly a clip of her in high school that's also making its rounds but i haven't been able to find it yet but i listened to one of his podcasts of preparing the people preparing up people and he has a very soothing, calm voice. And he is so non-threatening. And he's just, there is something, there, there's absolutely something about him that draws you in. He's not charismatic like a movie star. Mm-hmm. You know, like the movie stars from like the 40s and 50s. Is his voice almost like hypnotic? Like, do you think maybe that's what it is? Like, because you just said that it's, it's very soothing and mono- calming. Yes. But that's kind of what they do is. when they hypnotize you, right? Like, mm-hmm. I wonder if he just has like a hypnotic quality to his voice. There makes it something about it. People to be, you know, more open and, you know, to what he's know. saying kind of thing. I want you to Google it and tell me on Thursday when we, because today's Tuesday night. So on Thursday night, when we record for Friday, I want you to tell me what you think. 
Okay. I can even send you a link, but it's extreme. It is. It's hypnotic. There's just something about him. And he's not, you know, really good looking or, you know, very energetic. He's just hypnotic, I think is a great word for it. You tell me what you think when we, uh, okay. All right. I'll listen Friday's to podcast. Sweet. And we will include a link of that in the show notes for this podcast so that you guys can tell us what you think. Leave comments on our website. We do read those and we do respond. So usually nicely. Yes. Most of the time. Yeah. (laughs) So we're ending on Chad's personal history of when he met Tammy. And next week we're going to talk about his family this fringe group that Chad developed and up until when he met Lori, because then we're going to start with the timeline in 2019 forward. That's probably the best way to better understand this case. Yep. Cause from there, it just gets weird and weirder. And there's more and more stuff. It's all, it's becoming daily. There are updates to this case almost daily, which it was mentioned that the closer we get to the trial in January, I believe it's the 7th or the 9th, that there's going to be motion after motion after motion and more updates. And I believe that truly will, will happen. We've got some, we've had something new almost every single day in the last two or three weeks either court-wise or related to somebody else that's involved with this family or, you know, like the Netflix Mm. series. Yep. So what a circus. Yes, it is. All right, everybody. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, follow, leave us messages, follow us on social media, hot crime, cold coffee, and let us know what you think the second part of Chad Daybell's personal history will drop on Friday. And don't forget, we also have our daily cup of true crime in 15 minutes or less Monday through Friday usually runs about 10 to 12 minutes. See ya. Bye.